0: The History of Personal Computing History, of History, of History of Personal Computing The History Personal Computing. So, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the History of Personal Computing, the podcast. We have a very special show for you today. It's episode 12, and we're going to be covering their early history of the Personal Computer Magazine. I'm David Grealis, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Jeff Salzman. How are you today, Jeff? Oh, I'm doing fine. Still trying to get out of this cold nip of Northeast weather. Is it and it's really cold, right? And it's been dumping on you, bunches of snow.
1: Well, let's put it this way: it was about thirty degrees today, and that's the heat wave. Yeah, I, uh, I got a new we... car with a remote starter, and I finally figured out where I can park in the parking garage to be able to hit it from the office building, <laughs> so I can warm it up when I, before I go out to work or go out from
0: work. And didn't you like text me recently? It was only like two degrees and crazy stuff like yes, that. Yes, it it's it it just comes,
1: it, it bursts. You know, I blame Canada. It comes, you know. <laughs> From the Arctic, it, it just hits us, goes really low to the point where you're just used to it, and then it teases you, it warms up a bit, and then another Arctic burst might come in. We're just waiting for that cycle
0: to end eventually. I remind everybody where you live? Pennsylvania. Southern Pennsylvania. Southern Pennsylvania. So um, I live in northern Georgia, so about 30 miles north of Atlanta. So I live just north enough in the south to where you know we get we get what would be considered cold you know weather here you know some very little compared to where you are in yeah, north you have a chance so it's been it's been really like bone chilling for, for us cold like you know down in the 20s and just like you know right at freezing and below freezing during the day and stuff you know that's that's pretty cold for us here. Did so you get like, snow yesterday? Well, and there's the thing is, we did, and it was very pretty, but supposedly at least, well, I think they got a lot more of it north of me, but where I am in Alpharetta area, it's supposed to have been like three inches, four inches, and they closed, which would have been, you know, shut things down here. Um, <laughs> even though they're, they're reasonably well prepared, they learned something from last year. But anyway, it, it came and went. They closed schools and everything, and nothing. It was like a nice little coating. It was pretty for a couple of hours and then that's it. It all melted today. And it's <laughs> all... like, what happened?
1: And last Saturday, my wife and I came back from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where she saw a foreigner concert the night before. Yeah. And we were driving in the snow, the same snow that put five more inches of snow down on us. And it's like, well, you get through it. You just drive through the tracks, the cars in front of you on the highway made and... and and go at a reasonable pace.
0: And were you as cold as ice? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway you know i'm hoping now it's like i was what ready for it and like okay come on go ahead and do it let's have a bunch of snow but it's like all right enough now let's, you're, let's, you're waiting for the punch and you just got a slap on the face let, let's um yeah so forget it now i'm ready for spring me too um all right so let's move along and uh where am i <laughs> All right. oh, Let's introduce the
1: show. Talk, talk about the we'll podcast. The... Yes. We
0: are a bi-weekly uh, podcast and we are, we're strong. i totally messed it up. The History of Personal Computing podcast is your bi-weekly stroll through our virtual personal computing museum about the development of the most significant tool ever invented, the personal computer. But just what is a personal computer these days? That's a good question since it continues to evolve. So we're looking back at that, ev- that evolution one computer at a time. Slow down, slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll get it done.
1: We wanted to create a unique new podcast about old computers and their history. So our stroll in the museum is through audio, and we post all of our writing and notes on our website. We generally discuss the machines in a date order within tiers. Tiers are in reference to the tiers of personal computing, which continue to evolve. In the past, they developed as desktop, laptop, and smartphone, though now they're best described as laptop, tablet, and smartphone.
0: Exactly. It's going to be interesting when we get up to the tablets and smartphones.
1: Oh, yeah. Episodes like this one will be so far away from us. Yeah, really far. We'll just have to redo it again, make them fresh.
0: So, Jeff, on today's show, we're going to do something special again. We're going to talk about the rise and sometimes maybe even the fall, or in most cases, actually, of the personal computer magazine. Uh, There are many parts to the ecosystem that sprang up around the personal computing revolution. Our computer magazines were one of the most important parts. Heck, an electronics magazine actually helped launch the whole thing in its in the first place. Uh, there were industry periodicals before the personal computer magazine, like uh, have you ever heard of Computer Design and Datamation?
1: Heard of Datamation, not Computer Design.
0: Both, both you know, mini computer industry, you know, well, I guess mainframe too. Magazines before it became personal. Yeah. But so today we're going to talk about the really important rags that helped launch and support the newly forming microcomputer industry from around 1974 through around 1980. Uh, and actually, we decided earlier, uh, before the show, that we we're actually having to split this up and do it in two parts. So today is part one. We're doing four magazines, and I think uh, we'll be doing four next time. But it's uh, it's easy to forget now that before the internet. Even up until the late 1990s, magazines were some of the best sources of information for the use, support, and uh, and for retail of what was available to buy uh, for you know computers. Yep. They're now just great slices of history too. So you can just pick one up, and uh, or read one online, and you get a great look of just how things were during a very specific time. Usually, you know, a month and a year.
1: And they were also a good source of uh, free software if you didn't mind typing it in yourself. Oh.
0: Yeah, and the, and the ones we're talking about today, the really early ones. In fact, um, a lot of them had, that was a regular uh, feature, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it kind of, kind of started a trend. Um, one of the first ones, and I can get started on this one if you want.
0: Yeah, um, so push on. Let's start off with the first. Right. I guess first arguably one, the first one, yep. Arguably, yeah, that's our... That's our Got to put day. that in there. Absolutely. Because, you know, they probably had one in 1973 in uh, the Soviet Union. in mother russia we had a computer magazine anyway go ahead
1: computers program you Uh, creative computing one of the earliest if not the first personal computing magazine to come to market in 1974 which that's surprising
0: i didn't realize that did you know that going in i didn't realize it was that old
1: i remember the magazine but
0: well isn't it odd that it would start before like the altair and stuff but anyway so yeah
1: well It was a self-published magazine called Creative Computing, and I say self-published because it was published by a publisher also called Creative Computing. Um, 1974 precedes the official history of personal computing timeline, but not by too far. We're going to allow it to come in here. Um, The magazine had exposure uh, to the lion's share of personal computer hobbyists due to the lack of competition at the time. The magazine's content was a little less than technical level, which allowed anybody with an interest in personal computing to understand and develop an interest in the information, regardless of their level of expertise. Creative Computing's early lead put the magazine in a unique position to test the waters of the market for personal computing periodical. It was a fresh, bi-monthly magazine intended to expose the new trend in computing. The amount of content may have been slim at first as it worked through the early years of publication, but the writers and editors continually produced one informative issue after the other. Hmm. Their freshman perspective in the venture may have been a blessing in disguise as the average content in each issue described a little less about specific computers themselves and more about the idea of computing
0: in general. So, you know, help get the public up to speed on Which on I computing. think made a lot of sense obviously before there were a lot of computers available for people and you know what what i'm thinking of jeff is it reminds me I, I have to think maybe they were somewhat inspired by that one book and i'm going blank do you know what book i'm talking about by um by nelson ted nelson computer lib
1: oh you i think more was, about it than i do cause yeah it was
0: i think it was something along those lines too more like philosophical and you know the future thinking about computers and you know cultural impact and that kind of stuff it's almost
1: like the popular mechanics of computing magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as an example, uh, the January-February, because it's bimonthly at the time, the 1976 issue of Creative Computing contains a complete review of building a Mits Altair 8800, and it's on page 13. Uh, we'll show you. We'll tell you how you can get to see it yourself. Um, but in another section of the magazine, on page 46, there are a number of listed puzzle puzzles challenging the reader to solve them in any way they prefer, by hand or by using a calculator or computer. After all, computers make tedious problem-solving tasks much more manageable, and this magazine encouraged that way of thinking by presenting the reader with a suitable computing challenge. Now, after other magazines started to appear on the market because it didn't take long, Creative Computing published an April 1980 issue. This is, this, this is the fun part of some of these magazines. Um, they created an issue that parodies many of the personal computing magazines. They actually called it the, and it's kind of an amalgam of all the different periodical names, Dr. Kilobyte's Creative Popular Personal Recreation <laughs> Microcomputer Data Interface World Journal. <laughs> And you actually flipped the that issue, that April 80, 1980 issue around and upside down to to see and read
0: it, starting with its parody front cover. I think I've seen that one before. I think maybe I actually had it at one time. Yeah, and and I
1: read some of it on an electronic archive version of it, and it's it's pretty neat. I had a hard time picking out the different aspects of the other periodicals, but they some of the layouts on the different pages and the different stories did look familiar to me. Uh-huh. So they, they just copied a lot of layouts from other popular magazines and, and put, you know, like an Onion style, if you, if you know what the Onion is today. Um, sort of like a parody news thing, but now it's a parody computer thing. So, yeah, they, they, I don't think they were real articles, but they looked real enough and they were done in the style
0: of their competitors. I'm going to look for that on eBay, that issue. April 1980. Yes, yeah, they show the cover of both, you know, both covers, if you will, on the Wikipedia article I'm looking at here. Uh, if it's okay for me to mention, I, I want to mention, so the founder and the publisher was David H. All. And um, I have a soft spot in my heart for him because, yeah, you know, one of the great features of that magazine, too, were the little, the comics in it. There weren't like a lot, but there were a good yes. amount, you know, spread throughout it. But he actually gave me. Uh, I emailed him years ago, and he gave me permission. I think starting, you know, my newsletter. I don't know, somewhere issue six or seven or something. He gave me permission to reprint some of those in my uh, in my zine. So if you get, if you look at my book, you know, they're reprinted in there too. Oh yeah, and he gave me permission to add extra ones to my book. Oh, that's cool. Hey, yeah, like one of the parody articles. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, is
1: you can tune up your PDP 11 and it shows it, it's a fully written article, but it shows this guy like pulling the PDP 11 out and getting in there with like a plunger
0: or a hammer <laughs> and trying to tune it up. And that one, Oh, and that one is that one online too? You can look at. Yes, it is. You're talking about the April 1980.
1: Yes. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I have to send the link. Where's the link? Yeah. Well, at least have it in the show notes, folks. Um, one uh, well, thing you'll have to do because it's a PDF and it's a scanned PDF, uh-huh. in the sense that every page is a picture and yeah. not text, uh, you'll have to go way to the end of it and then actually tell your PDF viewer to flip it, because they scanned the whole mag. I'm I wondering if they cut the binding on this and scanned all the pages one shot through. Uh, that's typically how they do these. Um,
0: I- I'm so glad there's a trend. Yeah, you know, there really is a trend now, obviously with um, people scanning in old magazines. You know, and technically they're, they're violating copyright, but I think it's one of those, uh, like, you know, nobody's complaining or no one's going after anybody because they all see the good in it.
1: Well, yeah, wasn't, wasn't it Vince Cerf who said recently that we'll lose this period of time if we don't archive?
0: Yeah, yeah, because yeah. well, you know, just like old uh, computers, I mean, the large majority of, uh, unlike books, but, you know, magazines are trash, Yes:' There's, Obviously a lot of them get saved, but I think a lot of them are, are thrown away and get trashed up and stuff. And...
1: I know I had some I, I lost or got rid of back in the day, and wish I had them now. Uh, I, I do have stacks of you know other magazines, but yeah, I, knowing now through all these archives, it, it, how many there were out there and And we're just covering a certain period of them, but they, you know they covered broad period of personal computing, but it it's just amazing how many are out there and just reading them it, you know it's you're just going right back in time, yeah, uh, and you can see how people thought back then
0: right I, well, you know I think it's always been one of my favorite pastimes in this hobby is to you know i'll I'll just kind of randomly go over to my bookshelf and grab a couple of random old computer magazines and then sit down and flip through them because then it's totally a uh you know a time piece you know a segment of that time it captures that time frame so it's 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 great so it's kind of better than a book in some (laughs) respects yeah it's it's it's
1: it's not science fiction uh it's not even fiction it's science fact uh and and yeah and you look back and say gee now if i would have only done that sooner i'd be a millionaire by now
0: oh i was going to mention something too on the wikipedia article here it said uh so David H. All sold it to Ziff Davis in the early 1980s, but he remained editor-in-chief. But it says a little bit further down that Ted Nelson, known for the invention of hypertext, was briefly the editor. So I don't, I don't know if they like knew each other. or but They maybe, crossed paths like, in the magazine. Or, or maybe. But I, yeah, I got to kind of think from the direction it started off as that maybe Ted Nelson's publication maybe had an influence. There's got to
1: be a six, was it six degrees of Kevin Bacon uh, in, in <laughs> the computing. In... Ted Nelson.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, I know we have in the show notes, we're going to have the Internet Archives with, uh, and, you know, that has a lot of different archives of these different magazines. Not all of them. Did you find any other ones? For, uh... Uh, oh, there's, a,
1: there's quite a few for, uh, for this one, for Popular Computing.
0: I'm sorry. Creative computing. computing yeah. Yep. popular computing.
1: There's so many out there. Oh dear. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have. We're not covering popper computing. I wonder when. Yeah. It, it must have started in the 80s, I guess, early 80s. We may very well get to it. No, th- there are. Uh, I just found one. We'll add. Is yeah, uh, the, the Atari Archives type. is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah it's they're got...
1: starting to come up with a good good set of uh, archives on their own, along with um,
0: Archive.org. Yeah. So it has creative computing, but it also has. Um, you, you know they publish some books and stuff, so it's got those like the uh, cartoon books. I need to find the first issue. So
1: I think on archive.org the furthest back you go is uh, well, this um, what was it January February 1976. I think they call that. Uh, and it has it? all three of the awesome best of issue issue one. Is it how they do magazines? Volume is the annual count, and then yeah, volume to number one that's what it is so much stuff that that you that you can read and I hope someday beyond uh, archiving just the magazines that they can archive the content and make it searchable that'd be yeah. great for historic purposes you know you have this device or you found this part or you found something with you know one of your collector computers and then you can do a search a Google like search into the content of these magazines and mm-hmm. find out more about it or even where it came from because I know I have stuff there. I have, I have components that I don't even know what they're for. But somebody made them. Somebody probably sold them in the back of one of these magazines.
0: I mean, can you imagine in the future you'll sort of have... I don't think it's far-fetched to think you might have an interface. I mean, we already have it with the, um, the Xbox. Um, oh, what's it called? You know, reuse you your hands in front of the computer. Oh, yes. Um, you know, where your motion, and so that you could i eye, pre- eye thing is it that... you could pretty much bring up a, you know, a book or a magazine, whether new or old, and you'd be able to just sort of flip through it. You know, with <laughs> it just motion. floats like, in front of you or something. Yeah, it would look like a real magazine. You're flipping. Oh, through that's it. probably not too far away,
1: and it'll probably be running from a Raspberry Pi or or, or an Arduino.
0: So there's a link for the Internet Archives archive you know for this magazine and we have other ones too and then also i added that atari archives which is just a fantastic website
1: we'll give you all plenty
0: to read so that you've got all kinds of creative computing but also the book digital deli is there which is just one of my favorites it's great um you know then the, there's so much tons of atari books if you love atari
1: well we can almost go through the whole show just listing what's out there
0: yeah so did you have a creative computing that you were, did you have one on hand? You want to flip um, through? I d- I may
1: have one or two, uh, but I, there... I
0: have a few of them, and I didn't since it was this one was your topic. I didn't grab any though. On no, the I shelf, think but... it's
1: convenient to get the online one because I I actually downloaded some to my mini tablet, um, and they're great because if I. If I have to go somewhere and sit in a waiting room or whatever for whatever reason, I'll take that tablet with me, and then I can just pull up one of these old magazines and just read through it.
0: Yeah. I've got, the, um, I've got like all the, the Info, Commodore 64 magazine. I have all those in digital format. I so
1: have that's... mostly Compute and Compute Gazette and, and Run and, and a lot of Commodore magazines, but I may have a Creative Computing somewhere.
0: I have a few of them. I have, I'm pretty sure I have at least a half a dozen or so of them. All right, we better move along. Oh, I guess we have to cover the, um, the yeah, eBay. Says, so what we did this time is, or you go ahead, you talk about it. You wanted to start
1: your own paper collection of uh, magazines. Okay, how comes the link's not popping up? It's saying redirect to me too, but it hasn't redirected me.
0: Yeah, mine's slow too. So what we did for the show is, um, in the show notes, you'll find two ma- primary links. So we tried to narrow it down, and it's not working, is it?
1: Oh, no, so sorry. you have an
0: active link of active auctions. So in this case, we're talking about creative computing. Let me try Eden this. must be having problems. Let's try this sold. Wow, how about that? It sure is. Okay, so how about we'll, we'll come back to the eBay. <laughs> we're going to have to. So. This is weird. Yeah, I've never seen that. It's so not above. just my end this time. No. Like
1: the last show, this is the internet's down. Well, see, you know, it's that new FCC rolling.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to talk about Byte you do that and byte magazine uh, came out in September of 1975 and it ran until July 1998 So it definitely was the longest running I well is that true yeah. it um, was bad sold bad. by the pound in any case it was it was a very long running magazine you know especially as one of the early ones and I would have I would have sworn to you up until we just did this show I really did not know creative computing came out before byte. I would have swore up and down byte was the first one but it wasn't so, even though Creative Computing debuted almost a full year ahead of Byte, Byte is probably more well-known today as it continued from its launch in September 1975 and Creative Computers October 1974, um, all the way until July 1998. Wayne Green was the editor and the publisher of uh, amateur radio magazine mm-hmm. called 73, and his ex-wife, Virginia Londner Green, was the business manager. A, 73, that that's a ham radio magazine. Yeah, That's still around, isn't it? Uh, I
1: don't you know are. if
0: 73 is, but I know QST is around okay. as far as ham radio magazines. An announcement was made by Wayne Green in the August 1973, 75 issue sorry, of 73 magazine, and it stated the following. The response to computer-type articles in 73 has been so enthusiastic that we here in Peterborough got carried away. On May 25th, we made a deal with the publisher of a small, 400 circulation, Computer Hobby Magazine to take over as editor of a new publication, which was started in August, Byte. And so that magazine was the Experimenter's Computer System or the monthly ECS magazine, which had 400 subscribers. The last issue was published on May 12, 1975. And in June, the subscribers were mailed a notice announcing Byte Magazine. And Byte was all caps, Byte, at that time. Wayne only ended up handling about five issues of the magazine though before losing control of it to his ex. Uh, Jeff, you're going to tell us a lot more about that in, uh, a little bit later in this show. Yes, it does have a continuation. Exactly what happened with Wayne going forward, but our story is going to continue with Virginia Green. And, uh, and she controlled the magazine up until the spring of 1979, when she then sold it to McGraw-Hill. She stayed on as a publisher through 1983 and ultimately became a vice president at McGraw-Hill Publications. Byte became well-known for its do-it-yourself electronic and software projects to enhance small computers. A popular feature was, say this right, Cicera? I'm saying it right, right? C- I never could say that right. C- is. <laughs> yeah, I remember the column. Um, CRCA, oh, I feel bad, but Steve CRCA. Charcha? <laughs> it's C-I-A-R-C-I-A. So, circuit seller, column. And he was an electronic engineer and he described small projects to modify or to attach to early microcomputers. His uh, features were later spun off and he got his own magazine, which then became known as Circuit Cellar. And I'm pretty certain he still has a a uh, presence on the internet.
1: Yes, and I remember Circuit Cellar, and that was yeah. around
0: for quite a while, I believe, until not too long ago. I think I remember seeing it at Barnes and Noble still, not too, you know. Yeah,
1: either had a resurgence or it, it's been going on, and it just kind of, you know, I I came across it again within the past couple of years, saying, oh, I kind of remember this magazine because I used to do that kind of stuff, all the hobby electronics and you know build stuff whenever I can afford to buy the parts.
0: So one of the unique um, and visually stunning parts of Byte, which I've always enjoyed and liked, was its original art covers. And they were all painted by artist Robert Tinney. They, they weren't just paintings of computer items either, but imaginative conceptual images of technology. And you can still buy limited edition prints from his website. And uh, I, he, I have a few. And uh, he's sold them on eBay before, but not in a while. He actually was a, one of the keynote speakers at the VCF SE 1.0. Uh, Almost two years ago. Unfortunately, Byte stopped using him in 1986 and switched to standard product photography on the covers at that point. I say unfortunately. The magazine continued to do pretty well, so maybe it wasn't unfortunate for them. (laughs) By the late 1980s, Byte was was one of the most elite and successful computer magazines uh, around. It peaked around 1990, uh, weighing in, not weighing in, but getting to well over an inch in thickness. Yes. Which really. made it one of the largest standard computer magazines ever made. And we're not counting Computer Shopper, of course, which was an oversized magazine, which you could hit beat somebody up with. Yes, you can <laughs> press a bouquet of roses in the whole magazine. Yeah, but Byte was one uh, imposing thick magazine in its heyday.
1: But those are the ones that I used to read in um, at the library and study hall Yeah, uh, in school. Would, they would have that magazine because it covered a lot of stuff. But it, it kept you busy through the whole library time in, in study hall was, was about 45 minutes. And, yeah, I'd go through the issue, lots of ads, but then again, lots of information, too. So it had a really good balance of
0: both. I guess it sort of was the earlier – well, obviously it was. Computer Shopper was definitely more of a shopping ad magazine, though it did have articles, too. But Byte was sort of similar in a sense of, you know, you really, you really settled in to read it. To look yes. through it. so, um, Byte even started an online service in the mid-80s, around 1985. And it was called Bix for the Byte Information Exchange. And I think it was reasonably um, successful. I don't believe... It certainly wasn't as big as uh, CompuServe.
1: And no, it wasn't. Ge-
0: um, what was the other big one then? Not Genie as much as... Uh, we'll have to do a show on that. What's the, well, What was Bix, the other... I remember the ads of Bix from... Um,
1: Oh, what was that Stuart Chaffee show, uh, Computer Chronicles? Yeah, they yeah. Would, they would advertise on there a lot. Well, was, they also had
0: a lot of McGraw-Hill stuff too. What was the other service that was very DOS-looking front end? <sighs> the, I, being a Commodore person, I only really yeah. knew a serve. darn it. Um, in any case, more about Bix is that it was a text-only BBS sort of style site. I remember around that time, in the, even by the early 90s, you'd see all the Byte um, writers, they all had Bix email addresses and such and they had their discussion groups on there with declining ad revenue and subscribers mcgraw hill sold the magazine to cmp media in may of 1998 and cmp shocked many by closing it down just two months later an online version of the magazine had a slow start about a year later but it never really amounted to much and i remember that too and it was around for a few years i don't really go into a lot of detail here about it but um like i said in my opinion i don't think it really it wasn't very successful and then I remember some hoo-ha about back in 2011, they were launching it again, and they tried, and it just was really half-hearted, and it basically shut down again in like 2013. Do you remember that? com?
1: Yeah, uh, and I think I did visit it once, but something didn't pull me in,
0: and it, it should have, but it didn't. Yeah, it just, I, I guess they were really counting on the name to have a lot of notoriety, but you know it just didn't anymore i guess at least from that standpoint now i did in, in our my piece here about Byte, i i feel bad because i didn't really say much or anything about jerry pornell so i'll just throw his name out there real quick and i'm sure he's got lots of fans he went on the right um like some science fiction and uh and he's a fairly old guy now but i know he's doing a lot of successful writing are you familiar with him
1: no believe it or not i really didn't pay attention to who was writing the stuff i was reading i just enjoyed the content
0: well, and I didn't really I didn't really follow him either. I learned about him after the fact many years later. Frankly, I really mostly learned about him as a guest on Twit, you know, this weekend uh, technology with Leo Laporte. So that's kind of how I found out about him. So anyway, and as far as finding uh, copies out there in magazines, so there's a link to the Internet Archive, and there's an article here, and there's a, quite a number of uh, different issues you can check out.
1: The eBay link works for now oh yeah we had to refresh it once or twice
0: uh there's also a link to robert tinney's site where you can look at uh prints and you know or at least just just check it you know if you do a search for bite and then you can just search google and look at different covers and stuff some of the covers are really fantastic
1: yeah i might have to consider well wow they're expensive are they yeah special lithographs i thought if they were just yeah no, they're you just know.
0: signed Limited edition prints, but I think as time okay. has gone by and he's sold, you know, you're getting more and more limited with them. He's slowly raised the price.
1: Okay, because, I mean, for for forty five bucks for an eleven by fourteen, I may consider
0: something like that for my office. <laughs> but I, I actually own. It turns out I own one of the ones. You know, he's got the bigger ones. I own one of the ones that are really. Uh, it's called technological breakthrough, and it's like an egg with a robot arm coming out of it. You know, like a chick is breaking through the egg. But yes. it's a robot arm. So I have that one in the 16 by 20 size. And uh, it's on here for $650. Uh, only.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he has some unsigned reproductions for like 20 bucks. Yeah.
0: But uh, I, got mine, I got mine years ago and off of eBay. And maybe it was a slow time for him. I like and, the one
1: with the, the watch that has a little disc going into it. You know, the oh, yeah. The
0: yeah. And that's considered a classic one now, too. Because it kind of represents sort of what's going on now.
1: Yes, I can watch it on my uh, Galaxy Two my Galaxy Gear Two.
0: <laughs> so see real quickly then before we read, so wait, we have that link and then oh, we'll look at the eBay stuff. Yes. But I have a couple of issues of bite in front of me, so I randomly grabbed these are early issues. So the first one here is from seventeen September nineteen seventy six and it's the centennial issue and it's not an inch thick, you know, it's more of a traditional looking computer magazine in thickness, you know, because earlier. But it's got a nice drawing on the front, like a guy running for political party, and people have signs to say two computers at every home. It's like a big crowd out in front of this guy, you know, on his soapbox or um, podium giving a talk. People have I'm signs to, to say. Trying to see if
1: the same thing is available for purchase right now. I, I don't... Someone
0: has a computer power sign. It's like a news anchor doing a, a coverage. And then it's funny how there's Mr. Spock and another red shirt guy with a communicator, the original series out there it's like star trek always had a place in the early computer days. yes it did and then one person's got a t-shirt it says computer lib on it from that book from the ted nelson book isn't that funny (laughs) so there you go and there's also the enterprises flying way up in the upper left hand corner you flip it over and there's an ad for the altair 680 the small wonder of the micro world you know i got 11
1: minutes to decide if i want to buy this june 1982 version of Byte. it has um... What looks like a laser disc going into a, a drive uh, on the front cover. It says interactive video discs. It's ten bucks, four dollars shipping, coming from Marietta, South Carolina.
0: Oh yeah, and this is interesting. Right on the um, inside of the front cover is an ad for a SWTPC 6800 computer. No picture, so all text. And along the right-hand side of it, it shows the different um, computer stores. It's available, and so again, this is in September '76. There's roughly about eh, 20 dealers here. One of them is the uh, Computer Mart of New York, which was Stan viet's shop. Yes. On Fifth Avenue, and then there's uh let's see, there's one somewhere near where you are. There's one here in Atlanta, Atlanta Computer Mart. So Atlanta was had a shop. Um, a couple of, like New Jersey, Massachusetts had a couple that had a few. California, nope, I don't see anything. Texas. Anyway, there's a Promemco ad. And here's another two-page Altair ad for the 8800B. All right, then I have another issue. This is from January 77. That's only a few months later, and it. Oh, you know what? This other one. Yeah, this is not a Robert Tinney on uh, this September 76. The one on January 77 is a Robert Tinney painting, and uh, it basically shows a desk with a Altair 8800 on top of the matching disk drive, some floppy disks. A clipboard and some paper tape on a desk, and then a, a terminal, video terminal, with a color picture on it of like a beautiful futuristic color, city. Ah, uh, <laughs> and what, then what's to come, right? And there. then out the window, is a smog-ridden, polluted city. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't oh, know. Boy. virtual reality. I don't know what the message is there. The back cover is still the um, Altair 680, so they they paid for that for a while. Inside the front cover is still is another SWTPC 6800 ad, but a new one with a nice color picture, and then another Crimenco ad. This time with a uh, let's see, with a a color picture of the Z1. Remember we talked about that? It's in like an inside case.
1: Yeah, I just found the Star Trek Museum one uh, online here. Yeah, they did a lot
0: like Star Trek covers. Twelve fifty. Hey, Byte's certainly a great magazine to have around. Have a few old ones around. All right. So why don't we move along and now... Oh, we're going to look at the eBay. Well, yes. Let's go back to yours, Jeff, and see if they're My eBay, Yeah, the Creative Computing
1: one, I did manage to get uh, the one working. The active one? Uh, yes. And, boy, it's expensive. Uh, people are selling these things. they got bids on them already for like 15 bucks each. Oh, uh, okay. It I knew I should up. have kept the one or two I, I've had in the past. <laughs> and if you
0: um, notice, like some of these... Like this one's pretty easy, Creative Computing, and um, we added yeah, like Argentina, kind of Photoshop, and wrist to try to nail, nail it down, so you get mostly just the magazine. But yeah, when we talk about some of the later ones, it's hard. You have to you do have to look in different categories to really, you know, get through
1: it. Like here, Creative Computing, November 1981. Um, I remember this. I think this may have been one that I considered buying. The cover looks familiar, um, but then I discovered. Uh, compute uh, which we don't talk about in this episode uh, oh <laughs> December
0: 82 I have that one
1: uh, November 81 was December 82
0: yeah I remember that cover I mean, I... oh there
1: it is yeah with the digitized Santa mm-hmm. or the, uh, yeah it almost looks digitized I think I have
0: November 81 that looks familiar but um okay so let's see let's go to the um the sold link but, see if it still works
1: see if eBay is going to
0: behave and what are they selling for Come on! Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow. We're both loading at the same
0: time. That's that it, we're bringing eBay down. Yeah. Stop loading eBay while I'm trying to load <laughs> eBay. <laughs> that is not working. Yeah, they are slow. Wow. Yeah, my my. Uh, here, I'll try it again.
1: Oh, there's one. Vesta Creative Computing has a picture of Spock on it.
0: Redirecting you. I don't even get why it does that either. Why is it you copy the actual link and then and then it does this redirecting thing when you, you know, put it in well, a redirection's link? Well, the
1: redirection is coming from Google.
0: Yeah, mine's not working. All right. So, well, I'll, let me go to the uh, Byte ones and see if that'll work. In so case, they'll be in the show notes. So, oh, Okay, so, yeah, Byte. With Byte, I actually found that there was a lot of other junk that came up with, believe it or not, just a search byte. So I broke it into two active links. One is the active ones under vintage computing and the other one is active under books. So if I look at the active under vintage computing and it's working, there's 319 results. I don't know if you notice, I also, I put, if you put minus something, it takes that out of your search. So I'm I'm going, um, without led, without ball, without tech, without bike, without case, without transformers, without terror, without brothers. (laughs) This are where I found all these different ones, you know, coming up in the search results. So this gives you a fairly clean search results. So here's the active. So there's a bunch of bytes and collections of bytes. So you know what? I think if you're careful, you look carefully, you follow it, you can you can pick up some bytes for a good deal. You don't got to pay a lot of money, though. Some of the old ones, you know, they'll go for some money.
1: Or some special covers. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Tiny but covers. even so, you can get. So let's let's go to the. Um, so there's there's two different links for the actives, and there's just one for sold here somebody has all the 1992 issues for 1999 so here's like a, a july 1977 issue that sold for 16 dollars. really nice cover because i'm not digging in to see is it a like really good shape but it's got like a train that's running along a circuit board like those are tracks that's a great cover see that's the kind of neat covers that robert tinney did you know i'd love to have a lot more of his art to hang up um i like the one with the computer that looks like a fireplace oh here's a classic one December seventy seven with uh oh is that when you're talking about the Star Trek museum, and, then, um, and like Miss Doctor or is it Captain Kirk and Spock are like they're sitting at a oh they're looking at a guy at an old computer I guess a current computer oh like it's a museum maybe I don't know
1: no I think I was looking at another one but I don't know what I, that I, one is. February
0: nineteen eighty two I saw that one It looks like a little uh, wood burning stove but it's actually a computer I'm not going to zoom in here's a really early cover that's not a piece of art it's from um uh, it didn't have that it's from 77 it's for the worst, first west coast computer fair and the picture is like of a computer system with all these crazy wires it's just a big rat's nest mess <laughs> well that's that's what it was that's a great <laughs> cover though I mean, it's a great picture so check that out yeah here's a bunch of collections these are some later ones but 30 bucks for like 12 oh this is here you go all the 86 issues all the 87 issues these are later ones 30 bucks 30 bucks 30 bucks that's not bad all the 84 issues sold for 40. All right. Well, there you go. There's plenty to look at, plenty to see. Here's the
1: April eighty-one for five dollars and eighty-one cents. Really? That's the one with the uh, wristwatch uh, computer, future computers, as it's called. I think it's great. Yes. Boy, my finger gets so close to that bite now, button.
0: Wow. Here's a lot of four 1982 bytes sold for two ninety-nine. Yeah. So I mean, you know what? You know what's out fat, there, They're and out you know there. what's up is the shipping will get you. That's that's what's expensive nowadays is the shipping. You get these heavy magazines,
1: but and anyway, they can't they can't ship a media mail because the post office put a stop to that. No, you can,
0: you, you can? can you can re- ship old oh, magazines media mail. Nope, you're right because they have ads in them or whatever nonsense. Yep, that's so stupid. <laughs> it <I'm just, laughs> really is. I, I think that's stupid. You're right. It can't be that. It can only be books really now. But it used to be any kind of media. Let's go to the loose term. All right, well, Jeff, you take it away now to Killabod Magazine. Okay, I'm going to skip yours. Get back on track. Uh, wait a minute,
1: I'm I'm not on track. Here we go. All right, Killabod. So, in continuing saga, what happens when the existence of a popular computing magazine becomes involved with a soap opera style divorce dilemma? You get Killabod Magazine. Killabald magazine was conceived by Wayne Green, you heard that name here before, once the editor for Byte magazine, only to have discovered in November 1975 that his ex-wife and co-workers cleared out of his current office and basically left him high and dry. So, he decided to basically make lemonade out of lemons and branch out on his own to create the Killabald magazine.
0: Yeah, we were both kind of running out of time getting this show ready, but... I mean, it does, from what I read, it seems like it was his ex-wife. But I'm wondering, was she his ex-wife then? <laughs> or did she My, beca- become his ex-wife? I don't...
1: It it, it really depends. I, I don't know the complete story, but no. it does kind of loosely come together in that sense that... It's... You kind
0: of wonder if maybe, you know, they're referring to her as his ex-wife on her, if she was his ex-wife at that point. Maybe
1: that's why she picked up and left, because, well, you know, something made her the ex-wife, and then she just got upset and, you know, just took everything...
0: And you know, he was going to call it Kilobyte magazine at first.
1: Yes, but that term was uh, uh, reserved for a, yeah, a they, section of Byte magazine. She was So being, he couldn't call it Kilobyte. Yeah, she, yeah maybe, sure. maybe she was. <laughs> <laughs> vengeance. Uh, VPs. That's right. Anyway, Kilobalt's primary focus was on the building of 8 bit and other homebrew computers, along with information about the software needed to allow those computers to operate. The magazine was more technical than many of the others. Maybe not so much Byte, but it, it had a, technical, a heavy technical edge to it. It appealed to those who wanted to build their own computers from scratch or were interested in the electronics involved with building computers and expansion accessories. Under the hood might be the best phrase to describe the reporting done in the magazine. You get a hands-on look at computing hardware Um, If an issue contained a review of a printer, chances are they'll do more than just describe its capabilities in detail. They'll probably remove the entire top cover and reveal the insides. Um, There's not a whole lot to say about Killabolt in between. Eventually it, in the Kill was basically for the technical person. And, and you can, when you read through some of the uh, archived ones that are online, you can see how they really got into the nitty gritty. If you wanted to understand how a lot of these computers worked back then, this is a good magazine to put in the list of the ones you want to read.
0: Well, I guess it, it was a lot. I mean, obviously a lot of the early computer magazines were very similar. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, so certainly his, his magazine, Wayne Green's, was very similar to what he had done initially with Byte. So it kind of carried on his own, you know.
1: Now I don't know if he got tired of doing that, or he got set in his ways, or got maybe just got on, um, just got stuck in 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 a rut. But eventually, Killabald Magazine lost a bit of its unique luster from a hardware perspective. They even tried changing their name to Killabald Microcomputing Magazine in 1980, and eventually to just Microcomputing Magazine in 1982. As more and more computing magazines came to market over the years. Killebaud started to fall in line with the same type of common reporting found in those magazines. It's not, it's not like there wasn't any good content in the magazine in its later days, but competition started to take its toll on
0: circulation. And in 1984,
1: it ceased to be published.
0: I, I think it just wasn't special anymore, you know. It didn't stand out.
1: So. Or maybe over time people realize they just don't want to deal with the innards of the computer. They want to use the computer. Right.
0: Well and of course when you start talking about the early eighties, we we you know, we know what was starting to happen then too, was the IBM PC was starting to dominate everything. And that's right. It was um, Yeah, so people wanted their PC you know, PC users wanted a PC magazine.
1: I want my IBM,
0: yeah. <laughs> So are there lots of those to be read online?
1: Yes, there is. You can actually see, like on uh, archive.org, you can see the microcomputing ones, you can see the kilobald microcomputing, and you can see the uh, kilobald ones. Hmm. And I, by the looks of it, it, it appears to be the entire archive. There may be an issue or two missed in between, but it does cover the entire range. Uh, archive.org likes to order everything by the date it was actually put online onto the uh, archive so it's not necessarily in any other order but let's see yeah holy smokes i just
0: i just went back in the you know internet archive where you know under the link of just the computer magazine archives yes and look at all of them
1: it's a big list isn't it
0: <laughs> yeah wow some some i remember now that I, i'd forgotten about like blip magazine i've heard of that one before Oh, wow. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a lot in here. Now, as far as how many there are in each one of these categories, but there's plenty to look at here.
1: Yeah, you'll, you'll keep busy with them. Uh, hopefully, I'm not messing up my audio here, downloading one of these. But... Oh. Okay. Now, I'm done downloading. Kilobaud microcomputing. That's, yeah, February 1979. Um, I think some of these may have been, No, well, maybe our resources have been mislabeled but i'm looking at uh let's see ohio scientific ads uh here is an ohio scientific computer where they the, the 1p they have well they have it out of its box that that one didn't have a box did it the 1p i think yeah. you put that in a case uh and this this also really looks like a a popular uh science magazine of computing but oh yeah they they're they're detailing a lot of the specialty hardware in this episode, or this yeah, <laughs> in this uh, <laughs> in, in this um, issue here, yeah. So you can see all the new toys for your your S one hundred system, or some hardware for the pet, or hardware for general computing if you want to use a, a plotter or or whatever. And then the next page, a block structured language for microcomputers. So you got some software in in it. Huh. Kilobaud Classroom Number Sixteen. Input output is not a fast in, fast out subject. It's how they that I thought that was always called first in, first out. I'm just reading the byline here. And this this is an electronics hobbyist way of they, they teach you how to interface a seven segment LED display with your computer.
0: Seems like a, a weird I wonder why they, the name you know, I know why you said kilobyte at first, but why kilobyte? It doesn't seem like no one even wanted to change the name. It wasn't a really good name. Like yeah. microcomputing—that sounds—that sounds appropriate.
1: Oh, and they eventually went to just that. Yeah.
0: But kilobaud—does that mean anything? Kilobaud. Well, that's one. Yeah, if you had a one k modem. Right, but I mean, in 1976 and stuff, people really didn't use modems. 1976, one k would have been pretty fast. Yeah, but you would—you couldn't call anybody.
1: <laughs> no, because nobody had—nobody had to, you know, want to remortgage your house just to buy a 1200 or one, one kilobaud modem. They were expensive, and they were probably about the size of a coffee table. But scanning through this February 79 magazine, I see a lot of cool interfacing projects. And then there's some ads like here's Orcomp Data Systems who did TRS-80 software. They have a full-page ad in there. It's not a pretty ad. It just has a like a sketch picture of a cassette, mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, yeah, a lot of yeah. ads were like that. Here's Percom's LFD400 floppy disk system. They have it torn apart, and they let you see how it all how it all is. So even if you weren't into electronics or building your own stuff, it's still some good information here. Had I seen this magazine more prominently when I was younger, I probably would have bought it.
0: Did you cover that? When did it go away? When did it stop or whatever? Oh, 84. 84, okay.
1: Yeah, and I got my first computer in late '81, but I was so hooked on compute, and then eventually Compute Gazette, that, that yeah. I really didn't see the others.
0: Right. Well, and there you go. That was another thing that I think happened with uh, magazines was that you, your specialty magazines really came out. You know, it went from being like uh, people fascinated with you know microcomputing versus you know I'm an Atari user, I'm a Commodore user, I'm a PC user, right? I'm yes. a Mac user. And so most magazines turned into uh, – it's interesting how long Byte lasted considering it was like one of the last of those type of multi-platform magazines. Because I the magazines I always read too were either just the Commodore one or the, the Mac ones. You know, Mac World and Mac User, those were my two main magazines. It
1: could have been the publisher presence on the shelf too.
0: So what about um, – have you looked through any of the, the eBay There's quite a few out here, especially the ones for current active. And, you know, I forgot about how some of the early ones, they didn't have any pictures on the covers. They just had like the index, like a journal.
1: Yep. The Um, earliest
0: uh, kilobods.
1: They look like they they look like a technical journal. Maybe that was their appeal in that sense. Yeah. But I see a lot of them being sold as lots and not cheap either.
0: Now, here's 21 issues from 77 to 79 for $220 or best offer. That's quite a bit, yeah. So I have a few of these ones. Well, the later ones with pictures on the covers, I th- or I've had them. I know I, I, you know, I recently sort of gave away a lot of magazines in the last couple. Of, you know, I've like scaled a lot of stuff back.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would be cool if somebody handed me or if I found these like at a flea market um, in a, in a set or in a box. I'd probably pay a fair price for them. Just have yeah, them. I would too. And I, I don't probably, need them.
0: I'd probably keep them for a while. Probably look through them. Maybe save a couple, and then I'd probably, you know, give the rest away to a meeting or something. Yeah, it
1: looks like looks like they're selling the the earlier ones that look like a journal are selling for about fifteen bucks a pop, um, eighty to ninety dollars for a whole year's worth. Um, the but the other ones with the color pictures on the front, a lot of six or seven, maybe half years
0: worth, about fifteen bucks. So I'm trying to get to the uh, the sold link.
1: I'm looking at the sold.
0: Oh, are you? Right mine's, yeah, that's. This is the loaded. prices I got. Oh, okay. You're looking at the sold. Mine's not loading. You jerks. Here's a
1: 1978, all 12 issues. Um, even has Wayne Green's name in the title. Uh, Fifty dollars, and they got it on one bid. Okay, mine loaded up. Oh yeah, look. This is only. Yeah, there's not a lot of. Um... Somebody got the first 10 issues for 37.95, free shipping. Plus four more, yeah. Plus that's four a deal. more.
0: Could be four from any. And then <laughs> someone got the first four, year. Plus four more, four more <laughs> white. Four Sports Illustrated <laughs> magazines in there. Um, Twelve issues for uh, eighty dollars. Wow! So someone paid a lot more for that one.
1: But they got the whole year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you can you can do good. Here's some, here's seven 1979 issues for eleven ninety five. I mean. Like anything, you just have to be careful, take your time, and watch. And you can generally get a better deal than if you just jump in there and go for it. All righty. So we gonna... have one more magazine to cover, don't we? Yeah. Now, this one, it gets pretty interesting. And um, I looked through my bookcase, and I've owned a few Interface Ages. So have you ever owned an Interface Age? I mean, I no, obviously I never have. bought one you know, in the day. But I, um, I don't seem to have any more. I couldn't find them. Um and they're pretty much all right here on my bookshelf. I I could maybe have one box and maybe some other miscellaneous magazines. But what I found really interesting was it was really difficult to find information on this magazine. There is no Wikipedia article about it, which that's really surprises me. I mean, you know, there's Wikipedia articles about anything. Yeah. You have a box of twelve, then you have enough to start one. So basically what I'm going to be what, – what I found is one of the best sources of information as of right now is the vintage-computer.com site, which um, I, there's a link in the show notes. I want to go ahead and, and just um, talk about that they have a, a really great computer forum. It's actually one of the sort of – as far as I know, one of the biggest uh, vintage computer enthusiast discussion forums that exists. Um, and I'm not – I'm that sort of covers the whole um, – gamut of it versus just like only Atari or something. but um, So I would highly recommend that. So there's a link in the show notes. Check out the forums. They're great. I don't, do you ever go to those forums, Jeff? Maybe Sometimes. We're usually I end up there when I'm looking for something else and it okay. becomes a clickable resource. So then there's another link, and let me go there real quick. And it's a link to on the same web page, not forums though, where it has, they talk, um, talk about a bunch of different um, computer magazines. And you know, I really, I meant to I meant to put this down too. the guy that runs this site. What's his name? Do you know offhand? Mm, uh, darn it. I used to know it. All right. So I want to say rich Cini, maybe that name sounds anyway. Great site. Check it out. Lots of other information here about computer magazines. So in any case, there's a nice big picture of the, what's generally considered the first issue for my research and it's volume one, issue nine. August 1976 is the first Interface Age, believe it or not, the ninth issue. And um, <laughs> so in my notes, and I got this all from this one page, and there's some good information here. So so reading from the page, it says, Interface, interface Age broke from the Southern California Computer Society's SCCS Interface Magazine. It appears that they started their numbering mid-run to reflect issues that were published as SCCS Interface. If anyone is aware of issues of interface age earlier than volume one number nine please let me know from unless again that issue is august 1976 and then it goes on to have an index of the different issues when they were published some of the titles um, themes of the different issues and then and you scroll down and then it continues and has some more description text here and it says interface age evolved out of the club newsletter for the southern california computer society the SCCS Interface. The magazines catered to a fairly technical readership and offered product v- reviews as well as programming information and coverage of more technical topics. The split between SCCS Interface and Interface Age occurred when the publishers realized that the magazine had profit potential and decided to take production in-house to capitalize on that. As someone put it to me, to me once, paraphrased, the magazine was stolen from the geeks because it could make money. <laughs> <laughs> okay and then uh it gets interesting then it gets interesting because there's uh you can people can make comments on this page and so i think you can still do that there's a form so i'm gonna so definitely check out some of these comments and i'm gonna read a f- couple of them and it gives us a little more insight now again these are comments so it may not be 100 true here's one oh actually i put the newest one Okay, so this one's North. This is from May of 2007 by Roger Garrett, and he said, As for the takeover, my understanding is that it wasn't a takeover at all. The initial magazine was being prepared by the SCCS, Southern California Computer Society. Bob Jones of McFeeders, Wolf, and Jones offered to turn it into a professionally produced magazine and establish an agreement with the SCCS in which the SCCS will provide a substantial part of the content of the magazine. Jones would bear the financial burden of publishing, marketing, etc., and they would share in the profits. The SCCS did not hold up their part of the bargain, and Jones had to provide all of the content through his own writers and columnists at his own expense. When it became clear that the relationship could not proceed, um, all connection with the SCCS uh, was ended and the magazine became simply Interface Age. At least that's my understanding. If anyone has any better information, please let us know.
1: You think that's why it started out as number nine?
0: Uh, maybe, yeah. Well, I think, right, from when it wasn't that other newsletter. Now, here's an earlier post from January 05 and this person says, I was around in Southern California when SCCS – so again, this is earlier than when I just read – when they changed to interface age. It happened because the Society's publication is being handled by an ad agency – And Big Feeders, Wolf and Jones. And when the mag actually became profitable due to ad revenue, the ad guy stole the magazine, changed the title, and screwed the SEC itself. Oh, boy. It was a rotten treachery playing on the innocence and naivety. Naivety is how you say it? Naivete or whatever of the techies. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So that sounds worse
0: than a divorce related uh, magazine. (laughs) So there's a lot of great, great drama about these old computer magazines. Yeah, and and they thought that techies were boring and boring nerds. (laughs) (laughs) There were some real stories going on in their lives. What's funny is if you go down, one of the earliest comments on that page is by Robert S. Jones. And he says in July of 04, so going on 11 years ago, he says, what would you like to know about the split between SCCS Interface and Interface Age? I am the former owner and publisher of Interface Age. (laughs) So... Straight from the horse's mouth And then that person says We'd like to have The October 76 issue And then And nothing No one I don't think anybody Says anything to them And then you get Other comments Anyway So there you go I'd love to hear From anybody That has more information And there needs to be A Wikipedia article Yes
1: Well you have You have more um, Check out the forums. Magazines Than anybody I know So you're qualified Me? To Wikipedia. Yeah Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: go ahead edit wikipedia everybody does so going to the internet archive now again here's something that's interesting if you look at the other um like for byte and creative computing there's actually sort of a um a nice landing page for them at the internet archive with like a, a picture and a little some descriptive text and you go here for interface age and it's just boom a index yeah somebody quickly put them up so but the good news is that there's content here and there's a number of issues it looks like most of these are from 77
1: and it looks like the way they numbered them they're in date order because oh, make, they
0: prefi- prefixed the name interface oh, age with the yeah. year month as a 6 digit number so it looks like there's 19 and there's um you know there's a lot of 1977 coverage in here oh and some 80s but there you go and see what else oh and then we can look at the at eBay so as far as active on eBay I think there wasn't a whole lot. Oh, and I had to scale this back, so you're going to still get some other stuff mixed in here, like um, a German record import, Japanese. <laughs> the CD, thing is, if you yeah. just target one one, um, so for instance, you'll see some of these showing up in vintage computing, and some of them showing up in under books for magazine back issues. So if you if you narrow it down, then you don't see the other ones. So I thought it was better to leave it like this. But there's some here for like ten dollars. Oh, no, that's a German record. <laughs> So here's but the covers one. on these are
1: really nice full-color pictures. Yeah, the later ones. Like the December 77. That's not that's not very later, but it has a oh, yeah. pretty, pretty oh, cool eight. picture in it. And oh, it right. Has, it, it depicts the future as perceived in 1977.
0: And, of course, I love the um, the old-style computer typeface looking, the way they did interface. That yeah, was... it
1: looks like it came straight off of uh, Buck Rogers' TV That show. is a good
0: uh, good picture. If you look just three up from it, there's an October 77, and you see how that's a very 70s simple piece of art instead on the cover like a sunburst yep yeah so all right let's go to so check those out let's go to the sold ones and see what we find
1: well yeah because they're expensive on the active
0: list and okay here's one that sold for a penny one cent yeah (laughs) october 78 here's one that's sold for 25 dollars oh this is a book though volume two $14 $14 a special
1: cover. It looks like you can get them f- for 10 to
0: $15. Look at that book. You see the best of interface age volume two. Yes. What's that computer on there? Uh, Maybe I, some kind of HP or I rolled
1: by it. See. I see. I want
0: to say it looks like a, um. the weird Commodore one B series, but it's not. Are,
1: are you looking at the sold stuff? Yeah. You don't see it. Oh, wait. You, you had a link. I, I went straight to... Oh, okay. So, yeah, mine's maybe link. doing it differently. Um,
0: there we go. But here's Best some of your later fun. ones you can pick up for like $7. Here's yeah, what $10 for 79 Yeah. Looks like the later ones are easily 10 bucks. Oh, there's not there's not a lot on here. I think
1: that's just a, de- uh, just a depiction of what a computer may have been
0: perceived of at the time. Yeah, maybe a mock-up. Yeah. I really want to know more about this now. The history of interface age. I'm going to dig around so I, can get, so I might end up buying a couple now just to see if I can learn more. So, that's our four magazines for the show. And next show, we're going to do four more. So we'll, we'll Sure, see.
1: why not? There's so there's so many out there. <laughs> we
0: could probably make a month of it. Well, or no, that two episodes would be a month. Um and even though none of these are being published anymore, the good news is, what, Jeff? That you can still read most of the back issues. And we'll provide the
1: links in the show notes to online archive of these magazines, electronic format. So
0: have at it. And I know, there's, I know you can find more. If you do some searching, you can find more of them. They're out, out there. and I think as time them, so. goes
1: on, we'll see more and more as people now are in this archiving bug to, to get all this stuff done. Yeah.
0: And a good place to go is the the Vintage Computer Forums, too. It's just a great source of lots of information. So our next show is going to be two weeks from now, and that will be released on Friday, March
1: 13th. Um,
0: our website is historyofpersonalcomputing.com. So please follow us both on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, follow us on both, Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> you can send your feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Because we really love to hear from you, and please tell someone about us, won't you? Write a review on iTunes. I haven't looked recently. Do we get any more reviews?
1: Well, what I I didn't look on iTunes, but one one thing I do not want to forget to mention is oh. uh, thanking Mark for his pictures of his Atari setup that oh. we in, in uh, last episodes. Uh, um, yes, are they posted? Sorry. Yes, there. We, we, I I posted. The stories I used, some of his pictures, they, they came out great. They look great in there. So once again, thank you, Mark, for doing that. Okay.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mark, because those are great pictures. It so. was Mark, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm bad with names. I told you earlier in the show, I can't remember names very well. Um, well, and we and, forgot and, all about that. And who are you? This show, we were going to de- definitely make sure we did uh, feedback and so we forgot. So sorry. So if we're wrong, we got to definitely do that next show and make sure. Yeah, that... it's,
1: it's, it's David's fault because he couldn't find it. He kept working on trying to find inf- information on Interface Age magazine and,
0: and he just totally forgot to. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We'll stick with that story. <laughs> so just spread the news. Tell somebody about the show. We want to hear from you. We want more pictures and uh, want feedback. So in Not closing, feedback.
1: what, Jeff? Don't forget to send in your reader service card.
0: Now do you think most of our listeners know what that was <laughs> now did you do that regularly I did um
1: on some magazines it it I was at first I didn't want to because you know it I think it's like what are they going to send me and i I was under eighteen and it's like okay uh, this looks interesting I'll circle the I'll circle number twenty three then number seventeen and I send it off six to eight weeks later I get mailers that have like a thick packet envelope with more information about the product i think even one of them i got a little like a wall poster you know a double folded wall poster huh uh, maybe 11 by 17 or something like that of the product it it was cool it was fun but hey it works
0: i wonder what you know, did they do that so that they could prove to their they could show their advertisers more value like oh look see Oh, I don't see why. it feedback, feedback, or way.
1: I mean, that would be perfect way of getting getting feedback in an exchange. You know, some they send you some information.
0: Yeah, but I mean, do you think that was a way of them proving to the advertisers that people are, you know, reading it and checking it out and re- requesting information and stuff?
1: Oh, it, it has to be. I mean, if they didn't if they didn't leverage that that way, yeah, you know, then they're just what what are they wasting their time for?
0: Hmm. I don't think I ever did one. I always just like you know, I guess I went whatever it was. I went straight to the well, the store or to I'm sure order you have from people, them
1: or whatever. You have those people probably circle every single one of them just for the fun of it. It makes <laughs> yeah. you wonder, do they actually send all 99 of them or whatever? That's what I always customers.
0: thought that might be happening too.
1: No, I was – I tried to be nice about
0: it. I, I just – I
1: I was shy, so I couldn't just – I didn't know what was going to happen if I sent this off. Um, but I sent it off with about five or six circled and and I got stuff. And I think I did it again – Across different types of magazines, you know, like Popular Science and I think Popular Science had one of those or or something similar um, And yeah, I got stuff not Stuff I couldn't afford to buy, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Got got ads
0: or more details for a product that
1: I just you know really couldn't
0: use And it with magazines in general in the old days did you ever you know where you know, a lot of magazines they'd like give you a free issue Yeah, the the try it out then they bill you to subscribe and of course you could just write oh I forgot about yeah that's right then you just can't you know you'd get a couple of free issues and you just say cancel and (laughs) yeah it's like the record and tape club for magazines yeah not that I was out ripping off magazines but I definitely (laughs) tried a (laughs) few magazines they started (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right see you next time Jeff all right see ya